The Red 78. I think it's important that people don't expect too much because it takes time when you come back. It's not just the injury, it's all the other stuff. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Welcome to the Best Bits Podcast. We look back on Off The Ball's nightly show from Monday to Thursday and bring you all the highlights in one place. We start this week with a fascinating discussion between Tom English and Joe Malloy about the perception of the Scottish rugby team. The whole hog thing, right? And the whole Scotland thing. And this came up again last, last week. It's like, what is it about some people, some people in Ireland that constantly accuse Scotland of being uppity ah, yes. and arrogant when they're not? Do you know like, it's, I'm, it's, living, it's, I'm living here for 18 years. I can promise you they're the most pessimistic group of rugby fans you will find anywhere. That's interesting. It's more actually... So this uh, blew up a touch in my world uh, last week when Andy Dunn was on. Yes, and it was Andy, Andy's comments, yeah. Andy reckoned that there's a simmering inclination on the Irish players' part to put the Scottish players back in their box a little bit. And he reckoned... Basically, quoting him here, Ireland will go and do a right number on Scotland at Murrayfield, and mm. and so that perceived arrogance was something you picked up on, I think, and and you might have thrown the yeah. clip out to Twitter, and then yeah. I had a weekend of really angry responses from people who had Scottish flags in their avatar, which was <laughs> really appreciated. So thank you for that. Uh, Anytime, Joe. I I Anytime. actually would think there's no sense that the Scottish rugby public are arrogant. Far from it. I think that that uh, humour. Yeah, humorous pessimism is, is, is would be the order of the day. I think there's been a sense that a lot of the Scottish players carry themselves as if they've done a lot in the game. They talk the talk. They win a game and they start really talking the talk. And then, and there's nothing wrong with talking to talk, but then there is uh, a fall and they let everything fall apart. And, and, or, or the work rate isn't there. You know, like t- you talk about Hogg and Russell's. Some of the work rate on show in last season's Six Nations was like borderline but, disgraceful. But, but, and so I, I think the Irish pundits look at Scotland and think too much talk and they've no right to talk given what they've achieved. But, but where is the evidence of all this talk? Give us, give us some examples of Scotland players talking the talk. Uh, it's more... I, look, I can't um, give you dates you see, that's, and that's times. But you see, that's the point, though. I can't give you dates point, and times. But I can't give you dates yeah. and times. But definitely yeah. over the last couple of years, I'd have, a, I'd have a real... If you go back and listen to a lot of the um, the Six Nation preview shows that like the BBC will do or, or you know, those kind of things, uh, there's a fair bit of, like, we've got all the talent in the world, this, you know, this Six Nations no, we're going to deliver. No. I, I think there's a, there's a vibe of that, you know? There's, there's, there's not a, there's not a, there's never been a sense of we've got all the talent in the world. If when Hogg was captain, he'd be routinely asked at the start of the Six Nations, uh, "Do you, do you, do you think this could be a big year for Scotland?" Yeah. Uh, y- yes, I do. What is he supposed to say? No, we're hopeless. We're crap. We're making up the numbers. Uh, I, like I, this, yeah, that's a, know, that's, this is, that's a fair point, right? And there's, mm, there's a degree mm. of like, there's no doubt that. Irish would be pundits are just kicking the pinata here because there's a degree of fun about it. But I, I mm. suppose if you're to be ultra picky, maybe you say, "Oh, look, you know, talk is cheap. We all we're thinking about is the next game. Boring, boring, boring. Go to the Leinster Media School and uh, come back to us. You know that kind of a thing." Uh, yeah, yeah. But, but look, they're, they're pro- it probably is a touch. The characterization characterization of of Scottish rugby is like super arrogant. That could be a touch unfair. 
I think I like I think it's not I think it's just completely bonkers. Right. Um and it's and it's the the only this is the the only place you you hear this from is in Ireland yeah. towards Scotland. Do you know England it, don't do this? France and Wales don't carry on like. Do you know when it started? Just, do you know when it started? Right. I can almost pinpoint when it started. I bet my life on this because I remember at the time it caused a bit of a ripple. Ronan O'Gara, when he was freshly retired, yeah, yeah, he, he was on RTE's panel, and right yeah. before kickoff in a game, he uttered lines to the effect that they're full of talk, and I think yeah. Ireland will put them back in their place, and like you know get a reputation for getting up early in the morning etc yeah ab- absolutely but again and I remember that I remember Rog coming out with that and absolutely scratching my head going okay what have I missed here where's where's all this arrogance do you, it does like it doesn't do you it's, think the, it's almost do you think the Irish players have, have seen it in the Scottish players behind the scenes somehow like it was quite a pointed O'Gara moment I, I like I don't know what players would say to players mm. But I would doubt very much the Scotland team that have won nothing since 1999 are going up to an Ireland team that have won a lot for club and country going, you know, show us your medals. None of the Scottish <laughs> players have any medals to show them. So, so that scenario doesn't ring true to me yeah. at all. You know, uh, I, just, like, I, just, I think every, a lot of people in Scotland, most people in Scotland are just at a loss to figure this out. Yeah. As a, as a as a rugby country, the punters are their feet are cemented to the ground. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't and, think, I don't think it was ever the fans. It was never the fans. Yeah. But but even but even the players, even the players, mm. um they've been through some hard times, you know. So but it's almost like they win two games in a row for the first time since 1996 in the in the championship. And it's like you know, a few people think like you're not allowed. You're not allowed to kind of celebrate the Scotland. You're not. I mean, you know, Scotland players are allowed to dream a little bit as well. You know, um, and I think, I think there's been over here. There's a feeling that Ireland has got a bit arrogant yeah. with all the success. Yeah, and the one time, the last time, our Scotland beat Ireland obviously was 2017 in, in Murrayfield. And and it wasn't oh Scotland played well it was the bus was late, you know uh, Joe Schmidt famous oh, our bus was late I was at that press conference and I was mortifying. Um, Sorry, how, just, how, in fairness, how are we meant to perform if the bus is late? <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and okay. Joe, with all with his meticulous planning, how could Joe Schmidt's bus ever be late? Yeah. I mean, you know, come on, come on, Joe. Uh, so there's a so there's a lot there's a lot of that there's. Uh, like everyone in Scotland would look to Ireland and as the template and be scratching their heads how in the name of God have Ireland done all of this the teams are Leinster and Munster Ulster to a lesser extent um, won the trophies the international team the conveyor belt of talent they look at, at Ireland with a sense of awe say, oh my God imagine being like that imagine winning European Cups and Six Nations Championships there's admiration there, but coming, they feel like coming back from certain parts of Ireland, certain mm. parts of the media, is this kind of mean-spirited stuff, you know, mm. and these accusations mm. of of arrogance and uppity Scots. Where I'm telling you, it's it's in my experience yeah. of of many many years living here and being around the rugby scene, it just doesn't exist. It's fair to argue with you. 
It's very fair. I think there is a slightly derisory, arrogant attitude heading the way of Scotland from this rugby country here, yeah? Yeah, and like, um, yeah, I've, I mean, I've, I've seen it, I've heard it. Um, now, Ireland, obviously, deservedly, rightly, be incredibly proud of, of what we're doing as a country, but you, I don't know why people feel the need to put down Scotland. I mean, I just, I don't get it, like, you know. Yeah. I, I, I just re- don't get it. Fairly or otherwise, I do think Hogg and Russell as the faces of the Scottish international team who flatter to deceive and attract a huge amount of attention and publicity and nines out of tens because he does something flash, but then the four intercept yeah. passes, the thing implodes. I think it's more about those two than almost anything else. I think they are just seen as the exemplars of everything that's flaky. High, so is high, it the, high profile and have done nothing. So is it the is it the media's portrayal of these two people? Yeah, that per, perhaps, but equally rather than the people themselves. Perhaps I see. I don't have a great feel for them uh, mm. as people, so it could be a touch unfair. It's it's the it's the media profile, and it's then what they've done on the pitch. Because Russell last year, I, I remember on Virgin. Uh, Shane Horgan's like disgusted watching Russell not track back. Yeah, against France, that was that was disgraceful, and uh, and, 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 and and that was part of it. That was part of a of a, as I said earlier on, he played very yeah, poorly yeah. in the Six Nations last year, and that that so it, you know so added to the problems. That, yeah. that particular incident, and he highlighted it, and it was uh, it was a horrible incident from Russell. So, so I think Just, I think that that moment married to. Racine hanging out in La Defense. Look at my yeah. skills. There's a degree of actually. They're prioritising what's not important. And it, it is more Hogg and, and Russell than most. I, like, I don't think anyone in Irish rugby is like, geez, Jamie Ritchie has some neck in him. I don't think it is that. <laughs> yeah, if you say that, I'd, 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 I'd run away very quickly if you were mm. to say that to his face. Um, yeah, OK. Um, Hogg has won a European Cup and he's won a premiership with, with Exeter. Um Russell has won nothing. He's won a Celtic League or whatever it was called back in the day with Glasgow. Uh, so he's won nothing in his career. Uh, I get that. Brendan Devenny joined us on Tuesday night to discuss Carol Lacey's resignation from the Donegal Academy and the issues surrounding underage GA in the county. People aren't happy. Not a doom and gloom there, Joe. <laughs> That's very depressing. Oh. <laughs> Jesus. Hey, it never rains, but it pours. Um, <laughs> It's 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 not looking good at the, at the minute in Donegal, and this this saga is, is the last thing we needed to. But this is where we're at. Do we know what happened? Listen, you know, there's there's two sides to every story. I have a good degree of information on this, Joe, and it's it'd be unfair of me to kind of pick a side here. But I'll give you a gist of what seems to have happened. That Carol, obviously, as you mentioned, there. Unreal footballer, one of the greatest players ever in the country, never mind at Donegal. Um, very well gotten bonus background team, and he was given this job, he's in 21, to, to to bring this academy in. He had a vision and he was setting it up, and, and the word coming back from him was, was fantastic. You know, a load of coaches, everybody involved. Something happened in um, Joe around the county board, seemed to be the, the academy seemed to be acting a small bit outside of the county board's kind of remit or their umbrella or whatever you want to call it. And people in the county board um, started to ask about um, uh, governance and um, there, was, there was talk of contracts and things that weren't in place, which seemed to be needed to be in place. And as soon as that started, Joe, this is from a good while back, 
there was issues there in the background and things slowly started to crumble. And they're definitely, so it, it, it doesn't make any sense that what the county board looked for was enough for this to fall apart. And when it, when it did fall apart there, I thought for sure that get them around the table because surely whatever this is, I mean, the county board in many ways demonized in this. And as you said, you read out the quotes and different yeah. things and even saying that they let Carol go. I suppose Carol stepped away himself. Now, let's be honest, you know, I know the county board fellas, and I'm not speaking up for them. They're, they're there for the good of Donegal football too. So whatever they thought needed to be in place, it doesn't seem like it's that mad what they're looking for. But there was some kind of rubbing up, Joe. A few personalities seemed to collide in this, and it just seemed to go down a terrible, uh, a terrible role, even for what Carl has put on himself to this, and what the county needed it. Now the fact that he thought, right, there's no way to patch this up. Mm. It's just a remarkable story and a, and a terrible one for us. Well, especially if, as Anthony Malloy says, the Donegal Academy was becoming the envy of the country or, or certainly as good as anything around. The county board released a very lengthy statement. And so the, to try and, and, and pinpoint what they're citing, I suppose the lines that jumped out to me were when they said Donegal GEA, uh, they're not only bound by, but they fully endorse GEA governance standards. And they say Donegal GEA, including the academy, are not happy with the arrangements as implemented in the football academy. And they do stress, they, and they make a point of saying, now there's no suggestion or inference that there was any malintent or neglect on the part of Carl Lacey or the coaches. But they are talking about not being happy with the arrangements as implemented in the academy and, and, and that they don't seem to match up to governance standards. And then they add, uh, on the field success, especially with underage players, must have proper controls that are transparent for everybody. As the uh, on-field successes of the academy grew, so too did the distance in position of the county board and the head of academy on the arrangements. Do we know what these arrangements they keep citing are? You see, that's what I'm saying, Joe. This is so basic. You're like, how could this be the reason? Now, you've probably had, Joe, you're a nice guy. I'm sure you've never fallen out with anybody in news talk. Um, <laughs> but let's say there's a spat starts with somebody and uh, maybe an email and you don't get a response or, or, you know, and it starts to go down a toxic route. This seemed to start from, so, see what you're saying? There's, oh, yeah. How could that be the reason that Carl stops what he's doing? So, so this this got tangled up in something I think was very very basic, and it just snowballed from that. And I think whether at that point then Carl dug his heels in because even as they tried to repair this, there seemed to be so many reach outs from the county board to get around the table, and Carl didn't want to. Uh, so it was as if then you know they, they just both whatever happened, Carl felt rubbed up the wrong way, and yeah. he just wasn't going to talk. So what you're saying is you know, the, the basics. Of what I know of what they were looking for is what every academy, it has to be part of the county board. I mean, they're the people ultimately that's in charge of the whole organisation in Donegal. So if they thought that things, the structures weren't right in place, listen, they weren't trying to put a tracker on Carl Lacey's phone and, and ask him what he was doing every minute of the day, I presume. But whatever they look for, it seemed to be normal enough procedure. But I think, you know, at the start of this, something happened between a couple of people uh, in the county board and, and Carl, and it just seemed to kind of spiral from there. And it's, as you said, somebody said about, you know, if we lost Carl now, 
to another county. I mean, it'd be one of them you see in the movie, the big long no. You know, don't tell us now that, that of course, Carrie Lacey's a wanted man and, and you know, Dirk and McFadden are down helping in Sligo at the minute from, from that 2012 team also. Mark McHugh's down helping out David Burke and Ross Common. Uh, people in Donegal are asking the question, why aren't these guys involved in the current setup? And I suppose Carrie was the one that was still involved in terms of doing our, our, uh, our underage, and that was something then they looked for the future. So I think that's why a lot of people now, because of where Donegal are at currently, they're, they're in transition. As you said at the start, you were sitting at the bottom of the league, we're, we're staring relegation in the face. So people are looking to the future. And if our future now is tangled up in this, and another small point in this too is that Carrie set up, it was his vision, this is his plan. So whether he gives over this plan now to the next phase is another thing. I mean, this is it's him that set all this up. So, I mean, this is his ideas and this is his setup. So whether that gets transferred to the new man or the new people comes in, that still hasn't been qualified yet either. Right, OK. So it sounds like the backs were rubbed up the wrong way initially, positions entrenched, and all the mediation didn't seem to bring it back from the brink and it all feels very needless. What is the, I, I presume given that Carl Lacey is maybe, I, I, I presume given that Carl Lacey's uh, super popular in the county for obvious reasons and county boards generally are not, I, the the average Donegal football fan I, I would think is on Carl Lacey's side. Yeah, that's it, exactly. And that's why I'm just trying to get a wee bit of a balance on it because everybody attacks straight away and listen, not whatever. I, I just wanted the right resolution. I was sure, you know, it's almost like a you need somebody like Dr. Phil or somebody to come out and mediate here and get us all together. I, I really thought that Carl was 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 sounding a, an alarm to say here. I want this done a certain way. How that we couldn't pull it together, Joe, if you're on a bit, a bit of governments, governments or contracts or whatever it was, how we couldn't find a middle ground in that is unbelievable for me. And and as I say, just where Donegal are at the minute, we just need, I suppose, this to be to be sorted straight away because the foundations are there and whether these coaches come back now and just the way they, the, the statement they made about not being happy, that was a big statement to make to us, probably one of the most worrying things. Why did they think that, that it was at that level you know obviously well, they say they, 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 those 40 coaches who followed Lacey say they've lost all confidence yeah. in governance I mean, of Donegal GA I mean Joe that's as hard as you can hit any group that's governing, governing over Donegal well, GA they're, well they're calling for sackings yeah. or resignations effectively our first visit to the news round this week features a discussion surrounding the League of Ireland and a far more smug than usual Richie McCormack uh, Dan McDonald, of course uh, had his pick of games in the Dublin area to go to and uh, Shamrock Rovers Four, Cork City Four was playing out not before his eyes. No, well, I, I obviously fancied some vinyl, so I went to Daily Man Park for the evening, yeah. some culture. Yeah. So, like, that's what I, I decided to go for that. And being truthful, I, I also probably was of the belief that Shamrock Rovers might win that game comfortably. And I'd been there on Friday. So obviously myself and uh, colleagues try and rotate a bit. I was in Tala on Friday for Shamrock Rovers Derry, which was an excellent game, like really good, like potentially the top two this year, more more than likely the top two, and served up a really high quality game of football on a good pitch in a good stadium. Who'd have thought that this could actually work as a concept? If you have a good stadium nice, nice. Yeah. and a good surface, you know all of these things. You know, good teams like to play football. Amazingly, it's a good product. You know, and that was it's, excellent. It's nice to see struggling teams with facilities like that. Oh, see, Richie's on pure smug mode here. Pure <laughs> smug mode this evening. Sorry, five days a week. Like, well, I mean, sorry, I, 
I want to make Seven it more specific. <laughs> Richie's on a particular smug setting. He's on a Bose <clears throat> smug setting as opposed to the default version. Um, mm. But no, like I did want to go and see Bose in Daily Mount. Hadn't been for a while there. And uh, that was actually a very good game too. I mean, I, like, I'm, I know I'm sometimes like trying to rein Johnny in when he's sort of like very... The league's in a great shape, and I'm thinking, just add, hang on there. Like, there's, a, there's, there's still a lot to fix and a lot wrong with it. But I have to say, like, the two games I've been to in the last four days have been great. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and like, you know, whatever. Tala, seven and a half thousand people there on Friday. Um, Bows last night. Like Monday night games are generally just a real sense of. Uh, we're, we're cramming these into the fixture list there's no energy around them it's like Monday in general like you know sort of a Monday blues vibe around them Daily Mount last night okay I don't think the away section was sold out but all the home seats were gone you know, it's and the new Friday oh, <laughs> but Monday's the new Friday but it's, it's Friday every night in Daily Mount you know like, and just that like just chatting to people afterwards they're just sort of going what over 4,000 people there on a Monday night and maybe to some people that doesn't sound significant but like you think of league football in this country, probably more so than the other code, the regularity that it asked people to go, you know, is, is definitely one of the things. Like, you know, you've got, you know, a 30, 36 game season, 18 home games, but throw in cups and other stuff as well. And naturally there's a drop off, particularly like, you know, Monday night fixtures, school night, various yeah. things. Like it's, it's, and, and you're still seeing them pretty much full up and you're thinking, yeah, this is, this is good. Now, it is one of those feelings where you're watching the score updates fly in from somewhere else going, this Cork game appears to be the Shamrock Cork game appears to be quite good. It, there, someone's just scored from the halfway line. Yeah, you know, um, like Shamrock is considered four at home to Cork. I, I wish I would be there because at that point Bowes were in control ish, and and the game was probably over. But uh, I have no regrets, Joe. The school night point is well made. I did say Nathan Murphy on Instagram say that he would have to be lying to his children about the match he had just attended the next morning. <laughs> no, you missed nothing. <laughs> yeah. You missed nothing. Terrible yeah. game. Terrible yeah. game. Don't go on the internet for the day. Yeah, and Tala, like the Rovers, there would have been a pretty pretty big drop off with the Rovers crowd from Friday because they do have a, like a, a very big family attendance there, and okay. their attendance would have dropped. Whereas Bowes in the city, and maybe a slightly, I mean, there is a family crowd at Bowes, but maybe a slightly different profile. They're able to sell out anyway. Scotland and Ireland face off on Sunday in what should be a mouth watering affair, but there was some disagreement between our guests on Wednesday night rugby this week about how the game would go. They were just better than Ireland in every department for de- for most of rugby history, and now for two decades, it's it's it must be so unpalatable to them to be on the bad side of this rivalry, um, to be you know, routinely beaten on, but by this by this Irish team and and find themselves so far off the pace and to, to not have success. I mean, they've become more relevant in recent years, but there was a good chunk of the last two decades where they they really weren't. They were a little bit above Italy, you know, vulnerable to being beaten by them. So. It's kind of good to have them at the table um, to some degree and to be fighting for it and to kind of to go to Murrayfield and actually have a little bit of fear about going over there. Not that it's ever been easy, but I think this is a fixture that stands on its own merits this weekend. I mean, the fact that it's on the Sunday belies its importance to the weekend. I think it kind of completes a set off and the Sunday game is in Rome and it's an afterthought, but this is, this is going to be good. Yeah, it sure is. So, Fiona, this Scottish team generally being talked about as the best of the Six Nations era. How good are they? 
Yeah, they're they're a joy to watch. I think Joe at the minute. I'm really enjoying watching them. I know they obviously had that last over in France, but just I suppose we know what type of magic Finn Russell can bring. But when he brings that magic, he really is unbelievable. I mean, he's got the most carries so far in the tournament. I think he's up around 45, six offloads. He's assisted in four tries, so he's he's just a, a really good player on his day. And I think that's where Ireland would need to target. But other than that, a kind of attacking. Tyler Rugby, I'm very, very impressed with the pack, their cohesion. Um, you know, Richie Gray, 17, like he's he's 17 lineups, he's involved in a lot of stuff. He's getting his hands on the ball, the front rows. Uh, Fagerson is another player who's really impressed me. Um, all all in all, I'm really, really, I've said it last week as well, Joe, but George Turner, I mean, he's just so good. Um, he's, I, I suppose, I think he's at 100% or 90, 97%, maybe he's lost one lineout in the whole competition in the three games so far so they just have really good players all around the park but what's impressing me is the, their cohesion together we've talked about their inconsistency in the past it seems to be clicking when Finn Russell is, is kicking and clicking everything is going well mm. Uh, their centre partnership has been talked about as as good as anything as well they produced in a very long time uh, Stuart Hogg seems to have responded very well to losing the captaincy Van der Merwe I think has won everybody over now um, post lines in particular uh, the thought of him running at Mack Hansen is an interesting one so again everybody's in agreement they're in a very good place we'll, yeah. we'll find out Sunday perhaps how good yeah they're still not as good as Ireland I mean they're they're very good they're, it's, it's the first against the fifth in the world and I think they're on an upward trajectory but I do think they I don't think they're at the same level that Ireland France at their best maybe not France right now but obviously France were able to see them off in Paris um, like they have very very good players but but I don't know how many of them will get into this Irish team at the same time so you know at the risk of being part of the arrogant Irish media that we, has been widely discussed this week I think Ireland if they get everything right on Saturday will still mm. have enough for them but that's not to say they're, they're not a clear and present danger to Ireland's Grand Slam and World Cup ambitions they're a really dangerous opponent and that's what makes it, it very very interesting um, they have a lovely style and but it needs to be on the back of go forward ball. I think that's where Ireland. We asked Andy Farrell in the after the the Italy game about Finn Russell, and he said, "Well, yeah, Andy Farrell is not prone to talking at length about opposition players in the way his predecessor is. He he, he largely focuses on his own team." And he said, "Yeah, everyone's good when they get quick ball. We just have to stop it." And that's I think been the template for Ireland over the last decade against Scotland. They've only lost twice since 2013 to the Scots. Um, and they'd largely try and beat them up, and I think that's going to be the way they're going to go about it. And it's getting harder to do because they've they've gone, they've been very strategic in the way they've gone out and broadened their 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 brace of players. They brought in players from South Africa, from from Australia. They brought in loads of English players with Scottish heritage. They've been very, um, they've even gone to Ireland and brought in Ben Healy and potentially could go get John Cooney. They've got a former Wallaby, a former England international in their squad. They have been really really um, strategic in how they try and broaden their the base of players, but they're still only operating off two teams, both of whom are you know middling URC teams and, and would routinely be beaten by the provinces so while I think there's a lot to build up there I think we can build them up too much in the advance of a game and I think Ireland will go as number one team in the world and will ex still expect to beat them at the same time uh, That answer Farrell gives on Russell it's uh, very succinct mm. Is your sense that he's hoovering up every stat and every piece of detail and distilling it into a simple message 
or do you think he's not paying so much attention to the, the, the endless stream of information he could and it's just going instinct is the wrong word because it's far more informed than instinct but just going off his own eye I, 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 would, I wouldn't diminish his rugby knowledge or his appetite for, for information I think he I don't, but I don't think he puts as much faith in the stats as some other coaches do I think he's more of a feel he, he trusts his feel a lot more I think it was Stuart Arthur. Um, I don't know. Was, I don't know if you listened to the BBC podcast about him on Monday, which I thought was very interesting. No. But they had Chris Ashton and Stuart Lancaster on talking about him. Ashton was a young player coming through at, at, at Wigan when he was a senior player, and then he also played for him at Saracens, or he, I think he convinced him to come to Saracens before leaving. And Lancaster also spoke a lot about him. And, and it, what came across is just his, his, his rugby knowledge, his intellect, and his feel, having been a professional from sixteen and a top level. Um, player straight into coaching his, his his understanding of the game his feel for the game like I think he respects statistics without being a slave to the, to the statistics and I think he has certainly put far more of a focus in his public dis- discussions um, into bigging up his own team rather than expending a lot of energy and airtime on another team so in the build up to the France game he was asked about France and he just gave a one line answer and it was like you know basically asked me about Ireland you know he doesn't whereas Joe was the opposite Joe didn't want to talk about his own team he would happily list off every French player he could in a perfect French accent and that was his one way of talking down the clock but also of trying to deflect from the strengths of his own team so they just got different styles and different approaches Mm. Um, and he also I think he's a good um there's a word that I'm, I've completely forgotten, but he trusts his assistants, um, delegator. He's a good delegator. He, I think his assistants are, are, are on the details. His team leaders are on the details. They are very well prepared. They're very accurate. They're very aware of their opponent's strengths and weakness. They do an awful lot of time on their analysis. So I, I think you can talk down his kind of reliance on statistics and, and sound like he's not as detailed a coach as others, but I think the way they, they couldn't be as good as they are without being so well prepared. So it's a different style but it, 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 I think it, it's, it, it, it comes off very well with this group of Irish players who probably were very used to the micro detail of Joe Schmidt um, in, in the past. So it, it, it's working at the moment. Obviously, you know, these things all have, you know, can stop working at some stage and they might come a cropper this week. But yeah, he, um, he'll give respect to the opposition, he'll prepare for the opposition, but he certainly doesn't want to go out there and give, the, and give them as more airtime than he feels they deserve. Mm. Fiona, Murrayfield is going to be hopping for obvious reasons a big game for for Scotland triple crown on the line and and even potentially if it goes very well they can be in the conversation for the championship uh, come round five and it's the world number one team coming to ten as well so it's going to be an amazing occasion atmosphere will be electric you would think Scotland will bring huge physicality Uh, beyond that where will they go after Ireland where would you anticipate they'll try and uh, stymie the Irish attack and, and, and what will they do in attack um, I think it's the same old thing that teams are trying to do to Leinster, Joe. I mean, Ireland are three point, I think it's 3.1 seconds, rock speed. Um, we know what Ireland are like with quick ball. I think Scotland are very similar. So I do think that they will go after that rock and, and try and slow it down. Um, they'll probably look at last week, Joe, as well, and and have a look. Now, I, I would imagine Ireland have had two weeks to, to fix up those kind of defensive issues in the first half, um, uh, especially missed tackles. 
I think Scotland are are, are the highest uh, tackle success in the tournament. So they have got their, they seem to have got their line integrity and their connections, right? So they'll be looking at really going after Ireland, I would imagine, out wide with their big ball carriers. Um, so it's a, it's an area they, to, to counteract Ireland. I think they'll be trying to slow down that rook. But I think Ireland are very, or, or Scotland are very similar to, to Ireland, the coaching setup in Townsend. I think they will be also concentrating on their own game, Joe. Um, they'll obviously try and do that around that rock area. They'll be looking at some of the trick plays Ireland have done the back and sides. So they'll be trying to keep that internal defence connected. But it's definitely Scotland themselves, I think, will be going to out to attack those wide challenges. And I think Mac Hansen in particular may be low. And I suppose if you look at scrum time, um, they'll be going after probably the front row as well because I think their their scrum unit has been very solid. Um, Porter is someone they'll be trying to wind up, I'd imagine. I think he's on seven penalties so far in the tournament. So they'll have little areas, but I think they'll be focusing on their own game, but definitely attacking outside in those wide channels. What ties Neymar's party antics to Joe Malloy's golf swing? Let's revisit the news round to find out. Uh, the, the interesting thing with Neymar is that pre-World Cup, he was in exceptional form. I mean, it is easy, and I, I, I do write him off as a player who so obviously didn't fulfil his potential I don't even think that's in question anymore but to be fair to him he was having an exceptional season pre-World Cup he was sitting on 18 goals everything pointed towards his best season in Paris and then World Cup happens Croatia game it's a sliding doors moment it's obviously a blow to him arrives back and it seems uh, and, and Philippe will expand on this he pretty much just said ugh couldn't be bothered and so there have been uh, regular complaints in his neighbourhood of parties going to 2, 3, 4am uh, the mayor ah, now here. The, the mayor ah, now. of his Joe, local borough it's not as if, has it's come not out as if to he's say, it's not as if he's living in a you know a terraced house with like people either side of him he's got like he acreage and acreage no this is, is, this is where you're wrong you're wrong get your facts right like, come on tell us <laughs> all get about your facts house, right come on go on, get, I, want, say, I want the actual spec Dermot Barron here come on uh, the mayor of his borough has uh, come out and spoken to the media because there are so many complaints from their neighbours and he has said I mean I can keep giving him the 150 euro fine for creating noise it doesn't seem to bother him all that much because <laughs> in the documentary his house looked reasonably private he had a nice back garden but yeah. I mean I, like, he was within a nine iron of somebody's house nearby yeah. Yeah, he's in Paris is that it, how you measure people? I measure so many things in golf distances <laughs> Like, uh, automatically in my head that's no joke so what's your dream garden what, dream what club garden. do you have to hit to the back of the garden then uh, am I cutting the grass or not mm. I presume you have to help if you're a six or a five iron that's true well then I'll have to go driver I mean mm. why not <laughs> you want a good ride on mower if you want a big garden though yeah that's the dream no I'll walk down the street and be like that's a wedge that's a drive <laughs> <laughs> honestly it's, it's like a, it's crippling it's crippling <laughs> Oh God! Oh, God. Yeah. No, no, Neymar listen, didn't help himself. I think after was it the first leg of this where he was seen out quite late at night in Paris as well. And he was going for fast food and he, he fans is, question he is, this. He is overweight and Mbappe after the first leg and and this registered with us and we thought well, we must get Philippe on ahead of the second leg and obviously subsequent to that Neymar is now out for the season. But after the first leg, the one 0 defeat to Bayern, where PSG were just a parody themselves. You know, it's it's 11 v 8 when Bayern had the ball. And Mbappe, after the match, said, amongst other things, between now and the second leg, our players will have to be in good health for the return leg. Everyone needs to eat and sleep well. Not pointed at all. 
I mean, who has said that is that what do you need to turn it around for the second leg at, at Champions League level? I need my teammates to be professional. Yeah, eat and sleep well is, is, is the big issue for us. And uh, subsequent to everyone going, well, that's obviously about Neymar. Mbappe, with a straight face, said, it wasn't a dig at Neymar. In this situation, a dig is the last thing we need. He, he lied. So it's just all sorts of fun. Um, Mbappe is box office. Yesterday, he was asked if losing tonight and exiting Europe will be uh, decisive in your decision to stay or leave. And, uh, you know, could this dictate your future? And he said, if I linked my future to the Champions League without wishing to show a lack of respect to the club, I would have left a long time ago. Mm. And they're all... Thanks a lot, bud. <laughs> Thank you to our spiritual leader. No, it's meant to be Mr. PSG and everything that happened last summer was meant to indicate that things were still going in a good direction for them. And now again, we've got a referendum about his future, Messi's contracts up this summer, and it looks fairly inevitable that PSG will allow Neymar to go if a sufficient offer comes in this summer. What is a sufficient offer, I wonder, for... And, and who's buying them? Yeah, that's, that's that, a like, good question. Like, who's buying... Like, who, who, who wants that, that package that you've just laid out there like I know he has all, literally all the talent in the world mm. and could well have been and I think that time has probably passed but he could well have been one of the best players uh, ever um, and yet and yet and yet he's yeah. a kind of a parody of, of this kind of showtime big style footballer who's all about the superfluous stuff that goes along with being a professional without actually doing what needs to be done on the pitch with any kind of regularity. Um, Penny first thoughts I, at the I, moment I, as well that like he goes for 220 million to PSG in 2017 with the intention of stepping out of Messi's shadow and eventually becoming the best player in the world. They sign Mbappe for a ridiculous amount of money not long after after Neymar's first season in Paris. He's now become the best young player in the world and Messi's form post the World Cup has seen him become the best player in the world once again that he's now watching Messi be the heart and soul of the team with Mbappe being the big star of the team yeah. but once again he's injured for the knockout stage of the Champions League that's become such a recurring story for Neymar over the last four or five years as well Yeah he's real problems with his ankles mm. so it is an issue and again it's not that he's been bad and especially this season but as you say if three is too many for any kind of balance and one is Mbappe and the other is Messi you don't want to be third member of that triangle No Um Paul and Kildare, has there been a singularly more frustrating player than Neymar? No joke. The disparity between what he could have been and what he has become is so vast it kills me. He certainly... Romario comes close. Romario comes close. when he, like I know he won the World Cup in 94. Yeah. Um, but he, geez, like his, his moment at the top, when you look back and it was so brief... Like it was like ninety four was his peak year with both Barcelona and, and and Brazil, <laughs> like for somebody who was just far too fond of going to to carnival mm. uh, every spring, like he just he he'd, he'd make you tear your hair out because he literally could do it all. Um, but do, he's that kind of player. I do um, think just how good Ronaldinho was at his peak is forgotten because it was relatively brief. But there was a two, maybe three, four the push year period where. He was the best player in the world. Two thousand three to two thousand seven. Things. Yeah. Once Pep came in, he was already gone a year or two. Probably. He was, he was phenomenal. And look, I would lean towards Zidane at the best of times, and he was still very much around then. But Ronaldinho hit some special heights, and then akin to Romario, same problem. Um, so yeah. It's, in Neymar's case, seven years ago tonight, since I think the best ever performance in the Champions League, which was comeback. his performance in the comeback in the last 25 minutes particularly. Is that seven years? Yeah, seven years tonight. Ooh, wow. Yeah. The knockout stage of the Champions League 
around then to now has just been off the charts. That year I thought, well, this is a freakishly good year. And I think it's just continued to be freakishly good since then. Not yet this year, though. Not yet this year. No, that's a very fair point. Well, Madrid and Liverpool year. was pretty mm. entertaining. Yeah, that was good. That was good. That was good. Uh, so somebody has tweeted to me to say, on the measuring distances in golf yardages, completely relate and can't <laughs> walk by a window without looking at my backswing. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's it. <laughs> that's you're, a thing you're not going to believe right Phil Egan was telling us earlier he was in the gym I think um, yesterday evening after work there was a guy who was he said was swinging weights in the same way as his backswing so he was obviously trying to improve as he went along yeah. is this normal among golfers because most of us in the office kind of went what? yeah oh yeah like uh, to checking your backswing even without a club in some kind of reflective surface. I'd like to say mirror, but we'll yeah, take, we'll, we'll take anything. Yeah, yeah. We'll, no, we'll take anything. We'll take a shop window. Uh, that would be a thing, yeah. It's an amazingly interesting um, neurosis golf when you get deep into the weeds of it, you know? And finally for this week, Peter O'Mani joined Nathan Murphy to talk about his place amongst Ireland's superstars in the back row. You look at guys like Cade and, you know, he looks like he's been playing rugby for, you know, 15 years, the way he plays, you know? And again, you know, incredibly coachable, you know, always picked out for doing things right. Um, you know, rarely puts a foot out of place. Josh, no different. Jack Conan, you know, you know, you know, identical. I know that Josh and and and, uh, and Jack have been around for a bit longer, but, you know, you see how good they are, how dynamic they are, how, how good they can be. It's... Um, you know, it's 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 very very impressive, and 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 it seems to be getting picked up younger and younger in guys. Um, as I said, Caelan is is a great example of it. Uh, the talk ahead of Sunday is that maybe this is the best Scottish team of a generation. They started with two wins. You know, maybe previous Scottish teams would have rolled over with the way they started against France, but they fought back and were very unlucky not to win that. It, we're 10 years on from 2013. I think yourself and Conor Murray are maybe the only survivors who started that game over in Murrayfield, which was a, a tough old day for, for everybody. What's your assessment of of this Scottish side and what are the sort of conversations you're having with Irish players who maybe haven't seen a Scotland of this level before? Well, look, I mean, we, 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 we do our work and we do our, our, our analysis, obviously, and, and, and we've, we've looked back to look back over, obviously, November. Their performances there were very, very good. Um, obviously, their last three games, you know, you see how good they can be with their attack, um, their set piece. Um, you know, I don't have to go to the younger guys and say, well, look, they've, they've really improved or... They've always been very, very good attacking wise. You know, we've know we've known that from from as long as I've been playing with them. It's it's always a difficult, difficult challenge to contain them defensively from our point of view. Um, and look, we look, we we're, we're going to have to do our homework, and we know for a fact going going away in the Six Nations is a very difficult thing to do to get a win, and and to go to somewhere like Murrayfield is is obviously even more hostile, more difficult, and. You know, guys understand that. I think it's it's important for the older guys to be able to you know tell the guys what it's like. You know, going to Murrayfield. Um, you know, you know the, the obviously the anthems, Flower of Scotland, how hostile it is. Yeah. Um, the, the anthems were obviously a story uh, <laughs> against Italy. Uh, Flower of Scotland when the when the music stops and the crowd just take over. Uh, 
now that you're uh, a bit more established in your career, do you do you pause? Do you enjoy moments like that? Do you do you listen to that? Do you think, wow, this is this is something not many people get to experience? Oh, it's it's incredible. It's it would be hard to argue that it's not you know the the, the best anthem. Uh, certainly, from our point of view, away from home. Um, you know, what the French anthem, Peter? I know, I know, I know. But when the bagpipes drop, it's. <laughs> <laughs> an incredible place to be in Murrayfield, I have to say. Um, it's it, it is a, it is a difficult one to to pick out one, but so you're uh, going you're going Scottish, French. I presume you're going Scottish, French, Italian, and then the other one. The Welsh one is very good as well. When the millennium is closed and and the whole thing is rocking, um, it's 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 hard. It's hard. They're all they're all brilliant. To be fair, the problem but. with Flower of Scotland is it's so good you nearly find yourself singing along with it. Yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, Jeez, it's hard to refrain sometimes. Um, you have to remember where you are. Jesus, we can't be doing that. Uh, just on uh, that experience that you're bringing, then uh, there's obviously a huge amount of, uh, and there's a big leadership group within that Irish squad. Is there a, is there a spot in in the week where where you're the guy who's standing up talking to the group? There's a spot in the week if if I feel like there's a spot in the week for me to say something or or if I feel like I have something to say or give in a meeting or or say before training, you know, it's not something that I've ever um, held back on. I, I probably regretted not saying stuff um, more so than regretted saying something, you know. Right. Um, and and the environment that we're in, you know, we, we want people talking, you know, and, and we used to have a tight leadership group. There's a big, big leadership group of people here. And even the guys that are in aren't in the actual one that we we sit down with every few days. You know, there's there's an incredible amount of leaders in the group, and it's really really important to have that for you know for a healthy group and a and an ambitious group and a group that wants to win. I guess that's experience that what you just spoke about of regretting the times where you didn't speak, where maybe you didn't feel it was appropriate. That actually now you know that balance of maybe this is this is where I step in. That actually the time for being quiet that's over. Yeah, well, it, it's it's yeah, it's having a feeling of the group, and it's having, you know, if there's something to be said, it's it needs to be said. You know what I mean? And if if, if there's a player there that feels they need to say something, that we we want to have, do we want to be in an environment that he he's comfortable enough to say it? So, no matter whether you've played ninety or hundred or hundred and twenty times for Ireland or played twice, you know, we want the environment to to be as of that. You just if you have something to say, you stand up and say it, and and that's what we want. Thank you for listening to this week's Best Bits podcast. You can catch Off The Ball every night from 7 to 10pm on the OTB app, Newsock, or on offtheball.com. Catch rack, rack.